Good morning, everyone. This is Pastor Troy Bond with the Raven Institute of Ministry and Biblical Studies. Good to be with you here uh, uh, on this day that the Lord has made, and just come rejoicing to be glad in it. I want to thank all of you who have come with us today to, to for our study in the Word. If you're joining us for the very first time, once again, this is the Raven Institute. It's a ministry of Raven Ministries International, and this is our, our, our Bible uh, uh, Academy, our Bible College, our Bible Institute, whatever you want to... In, call it, but it's to instruct people in the ways of God and in the words of, of the ways of righteousness and to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. We're here every day, Monday through Friday from 9 a.m. until 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for an hour of an expository teaching on the Word of God. Right now we are in a, what is it, Deb? 50, this will be our 59th lesson on the book of Romans. And so if you're thinking, man, I've missed out on the previous 58, you have not. Those things are available to you by going to our website at www biggrace.com and clicking on Raven Institute and what you'll be able to download is all of the complete chapters of our study in MP3 format. Uh, today we're going to close out chapter 5 and so we'll have the entirety of chapter 5 available on that as well. And so you can go on that and you can find out other information about uh, Raven Ministries International and all of our, our teams across the United States and into Canada by going to www.biggrace.com as well. If you have any, other, any questions or comments on our classes or any testimonies you'd like to share with us, you can email me. I'm Pastor Troy and my email address is raven, R-A-V-E-N, at biggrace.com. Glad to hear from you. If you have any questions, need further instruction on anything we're teaching, that is what we're all about. You know, we believe in Acts 17.11 where uh, it was noted about the, the Bereans. It says they were more noble than the Thessalonians because they received the Word of God readily but they searched the scripture to see if it was so. By no means do we believe that what we say here is the end all, they're all, that we're uh, uh, infallible. But what we want to do is we want to give you a basis for a study in the Word of God and hopefully whet your appetites uh, that you can uh, get into the Word yourself and allow God to, to reveal it by His Holy Spirit. Uh, you know that we know that all scripture is given by God and it's inspired by the Holy Spirit. And that word inspired is the, the word uh, theonoustos in the Greek. And it means it's God-breathed. And so when we begin to read the Word of God and study the Word of God, we, all, we, we always need to keep at the forefront of our mind that literally we are inhaling and we're receiving unto ourselves the resuscitating breath, that theonoustos of the breath of God into our life. And it's just like finding someone washed up on a beach that is uh, uh, suffocated due to drowning. You know, and somebody breathing into their, their, their mouth. Listen, for every area of your life, any struggle that you might have, any place that you have not experienced victory, the breath of God is that answer. And you can go into God's Word and find the answers for the, the, the things that trouble you, the things that hold you in bondage, and there's a freedom in that. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, the Word declares there's freedom and there's liberty. And He has come to lead and guide us into all truth. So whatever situation that you, you're confronted with in your life, allow the Word of God to literally breathe upon you and let that breath of God fill you and resuscitate you from the deadness of your life. And so I really encourage you to get into the Word of God and allow it to change and transform your life just as it has our lives as well and we stand as testimonies of His goodness. But once again, if you have any questions, don't, don't hesitate to email me at raven at biggrace.com. would love to hear from you. Any of your questions, anything that you need some clarification on or anything of that nature, that is why we are here. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer this morning and just believe God to, to, to anoint this time and to uh, give us a, a, 
uh, venue to, to just equip ourselves to be more effective in all that we do. James 1 says that not just to be hearers of the Word, but be doers of the Word. So I really want to encourage you, as you hear the Word today, go and find places in your life and in your walk, in your business, whatever it might be, to go and apply the principles of the Word of God to those things. That way you're not just walking in deception or forever learning, but never coming to the knowledge of the truth. Father, we thank you for this day. Lord God, because as we said, this is the day that you've created for us. This is a day, Lord God, unique in and of itself. It's a day, Lord God, that is unlike any that we've ever experienced, Lord God, before, Lord God, or after. This is the day, Lord God, that, that you have ordained and established for us, Lord God, to know you in a greater way. And Lord God, we don't want to just waste this day, Lord God. We don't want to just... Uh, Push it off, Lord God, is just an, another day in our week that, that, that maybe something will happen, Lord God. But we want to walk, Lord God, in a heart of expectancy, Lord God. But we know the only way to walk in expectancy is to walk by faith, according to the book of Romans, chapter 1, verses 15, 16, and 17, Lord God. And we just ask in Jesus' name, Lord God, that you would cause the, our most holy faith to be built up, Lord God. We just desire, Lord God, to know you, Lord God, to be intimate with you, to hear your voice, and to be inclined, Lord God, to, to do those things that you've instructed us to do, Lord Jesus. We don't want to be in arm's reach of the kingdom, Lord God. We want to be, the kingdom to be within us, Lord God. And we want that, that kingdom to flow out of our life and all the benefits, Lord God, and the manifestations and the power and the holiness of your kingdom, Lord God, to be known in our lives as well. Father, I pray for each and every one, Lord God, that's partaking in our classes. Lord God, we have people internationally, Lord God, that are, that are studying the Word of God with us. We just pray a blessing upon those, Lord God, those that are in, in nations that, that do not Lord God, enjoy the, the, the freedoms and the liberties that we presently enjoy, Lord God, in the United States. We pray for them, Lord God. We, we, we thank you for their examples, Lord God. We thank you for their, their dedication. And Lord God, the testimony and encouragement that their lives bring to us, Lord God. Father, we thank you, Lord God, that those that remain steadfast, Lord God, in the face of, Lord God... Uh, dire consequences and dire situations, Lord God, and, and in great persecution. We pray, Lord God, that you would give them a strength and enablement, Lord God, beyond, Lord God, the threshold of anything in the natural, Lord God. We pray for miracles to take place. We pray for your gospel, Lord God, to be, be preached through them, Lord God, with signs and wonders following, Lord. We just pray, Lord God, for your power to be known. Father, we pray, Lord God, for this North American church, Lord God, that has become destitute in the faith, that has become, Lord God, enamored, Lord God, with the, the things of this world to the degree that they become the enemy of God. And we're praying, Lord God, for a breaking away of those things. We're praying for an opportunity, Lord Jesus, to go in and, and find that remnant, Lord God, within the weeds, Lord God, so to speak. We know that they're there because you've promised that in the name of Jesus. And Father, today we just humble ourselves. We come before you. We ask you to forgive us of any sins, any transgressions that we've committed against you, Lord God, any wickedness in our heart. We would not want anything to impede, Lord God, the, the, the receptivity of our hearts and minds, Lord God, to the Word of God. God, or the flow of the Spirit in and through our lives. We ask for your anointing upon our ears, upon our eyes, upon our speaking in the name of Jesus, Lord God, that you might fill us, Lord God, with your word, Lord God, that, that, that out of our mouths, Lord God, would flow the abundance of our heart. Your word, Lord God, in us, speaking hope and glory and breathing out that life, Lord God, to a lost and dying world. And we thank you for all these things. And everybody said, Amen, Amen, and Amen. Yesterday... We did our study. Actually, it's kind of interesting. I've made a, an analogy concerning my time in, in New Orleans, and, and we had a guest that came on, and was kind of perplexed that I would use New Orleans as that. But I guess had, have, if you've never lived there and didn't go through the situation with Hurricane Katrina, you might do that because you might be driven just by strictly what's in the news media. But I, I want to iterate that once again, that really to... Uh, 
the gospel is a lot like that situation. You know, we we're here today, and, and you know, I, I made the point in using the analogy that that we had a few days' notice to, to depart from the city of New Orleans. We we, we we obtained a notice, and they they notified us, and they said the best thing to do would be to live to be to leave here. But the thing about it is, what's interesting about that, and I got Deb here in the studio audience this morning, is that you know they didn't force you out. They, they said this is what needs to happen. You need to go. But they were not going to come under, uh, you know, with armed guards and escorts you out of the city. They just were not going to do that. They were going to tell you what needed to be done. And they were going to, they gave us the, the dangers that would confront us for not leaving the city. But you had the choice to do it. And folks, listen, I made that analogy because it's exactly like the gospel. You know what, we go and preach the gospel and our teams do from literally from coast to coast. And, you know, on, 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 on any weekend, you'll have, you'll have our teams out from uh, from uh, Northern California into New Orleans into uh, uh, into Pennsylvania and to Indiana and Chicago and Daytona Beach you have all over the country out preaching the gospel but listen we're not holding a spiritual gun to anybody's head we're warning them of the, the, the to flee the wrath to come we're telling them that something tremendously devastating is about to come upon this world and upon their life if they do not flee from their sin if they do not flee from the transgression of the things of God. But you know what? They don't have to go. They're given a free will and a choice to be made. And they'll never be able to stand before God and say, listen, I was too poor to escape or I was too ignorant to escape. I wasn't. Folks, listen, all of sin comes short of the glory of God. Uh, whether or not you have your spiritual radio on or your spiritual connection to the emergency broadcast system at all, listen, we are in a, a, the humankind because of the fall of Adam is in a bad and uh, dire straits. And we need to flee from that life and from that place of destitution that's in. And so, uh, and really that was the whole point of the analogy. I, I hope the, the individual got it after they got off because they thought I was talking about uh, disaster relief and storm chase. I don't believe they ever saw the spiritual aspect that I was trying to bring to pass. But anyway, we ended our study at verse 16 because basically we ran out of time. But I want to step back just a minute and uh, look at verses 15 through 19 together this morning before we kind of continue. And what these five verses are, are literally doing, and, and maybe you've read those things in advance, but what they're doing is saying effectively the exact same thing in five different ways to illustrate the point that, we're trying, that we were trying to make yesterday, uh, which is that man was basically born bad. You know, a lot of people think that people are just basically good. Man is just basically good, and, and through his, uh, he's a victim of circumstance because of his environment or his upbringing that he become wicked. No. Man is born with the, uh, the propensity and the, the, the capacity strictly for evil. And try as he might, he'll try to do good, he'll try to do righteousness, but he will always fall flat in his efforts. The very best people, regardless of who they are, without Christ Jesus, they will always disappoint you. They will always fail you. They will, they will always do something uh, wicked. They will, they will always prove out the point that we're trying to make. So man is not basically good. And if you ever operate from that, that premise, that false premise, basically what you're setting yourself up uh, for is the door to be opened for many other things. We, we've made the point out of... Uh, what verse was that? Made the point out of... Let me go back here real quick. I think it's verse 15. Uh, that, 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 yeah, by the... If, but not of the offense, so also is the free gift for through the offense of many... Uh, of one, many are made dead. 
that folks that listen through that one offense many are made dead and, and really what that's saying is, is everybody is and it's an all encompassing thing so regardless of your situation your circumstance your upbringing we are basically bad regardless of how old you are how young you are we're, ba- we're all made bad what's interesting the book of Revelation says I saw the, 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 the dead small and great standing before God that small and great can also be interpreted in the Greek it's young and old and so, if you say, well, this person's too old, or that person's too young, or that person's just a child, or you can't teach an old dog new tricks, listen, folks, the, the premise is all wrong. The, the situation is, we are all desperate, we are all in need of Jesus, and it's our responsibility to do that. So, uh, there's, there's no potential righteousness that, that, that just needs to be awakened from within. You know, psychology will say that. You know, we need to, we need to, uh, to, to, to put people before psychiatrists and restore them to their original condition. Folks, we don't need to restore anybody to the original condition. There's nothing salvageable about who we were. We've got to be changed and transformed by the power of God into something new, something brand new. And so, uh, you know, it doesn't need to be awakened by psychology or some type of religious experience. It needs to be, we need to be changed and transformed by the blood of Jesus. And so when Adam sinned, because we've all descended from his seed, we in turn inherited the sin nature that is made manifest when he transgressed the law of God. He, he committed one law, uh, broke one law, committed one offense, and what happened? That transgression entered in. And so anytime people try to justify and say, well, listen, I've not done as much as that one person or as much as this person or not as bad, all we got to do is look back at one solitary thing. That is what forced Adam and Eve out of the garden, and that is what opened up the doorway for the de- death and destruction that has been visited upon this, this, this world for the, the, the uh, past 6,000 years. One sin. And the Word says if we offend in one point, we offend in all points. And so if we, we break one of the laws of God, we have broken them all, and we become a transgressor and in need of a Redeemer. And so once we come to understand the, the literally the total deprivation of the soul of man and, demand, and uh, the demand for His redemption, then we can truly be uh, motivated to operate more effectively in the one ministry that He has called and entrusted us with, and that is the ministry of reconciliation. And so today we're going to look at verses 15 through 19, but I want, to look, I want us to look at them, but I want you to keep it kind of the forethought of your mind, is that all these things that we're talking about is to compel us, to motivate us, and to equip us to walk faithfully in the ministry of reconciliation. Because unless we realize that there's a need for a reconciliation, we'll never be ministry, ministers of, uh, or, or reconcilers to the ministry of reconciliation. If we'll see people the way He sees people. And, you know, we think of that as good sometimes, and it, and it really is because God loved us so much. But if we'll see people in the desperation that they're in, then we'll do things the way that He did things. And what did He do? He went and preached a redeeming word of, of, of faith towards God. And so we've got to see those things. But I want to look at that just for a second in light of what we're going to discuss in 15 through 19 out of 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. 5, 17 through 21. What's interesting is uh, most people are so familiar with uh, with with Second Corinthians five seventeen, you know you'll you'll quote it, you'll say it, but most people don't really put it in the context of of what it's trying to say. Now listen to this, and you'll know it. You said it. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, what is he? He's a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. What's funny is most people just stop right there. You know, they love that. That gets them off the hook. That says that they're not going to hell. That says that they're redeemed. That says that they're uh, they are a Christian. But now let's look at what it says in verse 18 within the context of uh, chapter uh, uh, 2 Corinthians 2, 5, 17. 
Verse 18 says, Now, as a result of becoming a new creature, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. Uh-oh now. What you're saying is I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus, but I'm just not off the hook, but now I've got a responsibility because you've handed me a ministry. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Folks, we don't get saved just to sit in some peapod somewhere or to think that, you know, now that we're, we're covered and we can kind of go and live our life now and we breathe this collective sigh of relief that we don't have to go to hell. Well, now I can go back to work. Now I can go about living my life. Now I can go do the things that I want to because whew, now I don't have to go to hell. I'm a new creature, uh, creature in Christ Jesus. I prayed the simple prayer and, you know, I, I said the Christian mantra. Folks, that is a lie straight from the pit of hell. And I tell you what, that has been... Uh, Instrumental in leading people down this 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 primrose path of destruction into this wide gate of Matthew seven more so than probably anything I've ever heard in my life. It to, to preach the seventeenth verse without preaching verses eighteen through twenty one is literally it is to set somebody up for a complete fall and utter destruction. It becomes a form of godliness, but it denies the power thereof. It denies the power to be literally transformed, to not just be a hearer, but to be a doer. It denies the power of the genuine transformation. And so if we think that we're leading somebody in a simple prayer of, you know what, uh, Jesus, uh, you died for me, and, uh, and I don't want to go to hell, and forgive me of my sins, amen. And they can go walk back into their adultery, they can walk into their unforgiveness, they can walk into their drug addiction, they can walk into their, their doubt and unbelief and their, their vain traditions of men and, and expect to go to heaven? Now folks, what are we presenting them? I tell you what we're doing is we're, we're, I've said it before, we've taken the blood red gospel, we made it some palatable peak thing that's going to uh, 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 appeal to the masses. Folks, listen, the gospel is not something that appeals to the masses. It does not appeal to, to people that, that want to remain bad or evil. What it appeals to is people that are convicted by the righteousness of God that's been revealed into their life and want to see their hearts and lives changed and transformed by Him, that they can cease to walk according to the old nature and they can walk in fulfillment of that promise that He has reconciled us all to Himself and He has given to us the ministry of reconciliation. And when it says He has given us, that is the didome. D-I-D-O-M-E-E -E, if you want to have an English spelling of that. D-I-D-O-M-E-E -E, Excuse me. And to give it, it means to entrust and to commit to someone as in the capacity of a leader or a master of it. It's so that they can operate with care concerning one's best interest. Let me read that again. And so when He gives it to us, what He is doing is He is entrusting to us and He is committing to us that, that capacity of a leader of what? The ministry of reconciliation. Uh, or that, uh, that, that, that responsibility uh, or the best interest of God to bring people into His kingdom. And so we have, the, we have been given or entrusted as the caretakers, the masters of that. Then He goes on to say in verse 19, He said, That is, that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself, not imputing or uh, counting their trespasses against them when they come by faith, but has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, in verse 20, we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is someone that holds to and has the, the, the highest legal standing. or they, They're a representative of God to a foreign land. Folks, do you not know that we are just sojourners in a strange land? All we are, the best possible job that we can have right now is an ambassador for Christ Jesus. Because this world is not our home. And if you're trying to build up something for yourself, a reputation, if you're trying to build up a comfort here on this uh, earth, 
Basically, what you are doing is, is, is you are a, 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 a sympathizer with the adversary. You become just that, 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 that type of enemy of the God. You have become treacherous and a traitor of the gospel. Listen, this world is not our home. Happiness in this world is not the goal. But the joy of the Lord is what becomes our strength. Something that transcends this, this limited and, and, and very temporal time that we have to uh, uh, spend here. And he says, you are ambassadors of Christ Jesus. He has sent us forth as his representative agents here on planet earth to this world, to this time, to this dispensation that we've been called into to, to bring a word of reconciliation to those that are destitute in sin. And he said, not imputing their trespass, but his, uh, trespass committing us the word of reconciliation. Uh, uh, we are ambassadors of Christ as though we were God, as though God were pleading through us. Do you hear that? He said, we are ambassadors for Christ to the degree that God is pleading through us. Let me ask you this. When is the last time that you pleaded to the degree that God pleaded for people to the lost and dying? When's the last time you saw one, saw someone ravaged by the effects of sin and you pleaded as though it was God pleading? You pleaded as though it was Jesus Christ hanging upon the cross. You pleaded as though you were saying, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You pleaded as you said, you know what? You untoward generation, repent for, uh, unless I come into you quickly. When is the last time that literally there was a, a, a pleading within your heart, a, a compassion, so to speak, that was coming out of you that pleaded as though you were a genuine ambassador to Christ Jesus? Folks, if we are genuinely walking in that the, 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 the 17th verse of being a new creature in Christ Jesus, genuinely doing that, there is going to be the pleading of the Spirit that's going to come out of our life. He said, you're an ambassador as though you were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf to be reconciled unto God. And so the urgency that's going to come out of you is not because it's something neat or nifty that you do or above and beyond the call of duty. Folks, listen, it is our call of duty. It is our responsibility. It's not what we do. It is who we are. We do not do an ambassadorship. We are ambassadors according to the transformation that came into our life and we become brand new in the Lord Jesus Christ. What that, indict, what that indictment brings against the church today is is that, that, that we've neglected that responsibility. Say, for instance, you had an ambassador go to a foreign country. Say he went to, to, to Switzerland. And he's there, and he's, uh, he's an ambassador to Switzerland, and he just looks at all the, the neat things that he can do, he, the, the great skiing and all the, the, the sightseeing. And so he takes upon himself, he said, you know what, one day a week, I, I think I'm going to be an ambassador for Christ. Or I'm going to be an ambassador for the land. But the rest of the time, I'm just going to soak up the attractions. I'm going to find me some neat hobbies. I'm going to do these type of things. Folks, that's, a, that's exactly what the church has done. We found ourselves in a strange land, and what we've done is we've occupied ourselves as, as, on a sightseeing trip of the things of this world. Rather than saying, listen, my job and the task that I've been sent for, the, the wage that I've been called and given, is a, is a wage to be an ambassador for Christ Jesus. My responsibility is to be uh, His voice of mercy, His voice of repentance, His verse of, voice of hope, and His voice of life into a lost and dying world. But what we've done is we put that on the back burner and it's become uh, not even a secondary thing. It's become something that is, that is, that is uh, just almost an afterthought in relationship to the kingdom of God. 
But we've got to come to that place where there is that, that pleading out of our person, that pleading out of the, the change and the transformation that's come upon our life. You know, we, we look and we complain at the condition of the world, the, 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 the sexual depravity, the, the wickedness, all the things that are there. But listen, if the church would have rose up and, and done something about it, we'd have taken the, the life-giving gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to a lost and dying world. If we had not involved ourselves in the world, and as the Word says, we'd become the friend of the world, thus the enemy of God. If we had not become a traitor or treacherous uh, in our responsibility, many of these things that we're seeing probably would not be to the degree or be happening the way that we see those things. The things that repulse us would not be out there so much. The, the things that we're seeing in the, in the media with uh, just this militant homosexuality and that, that now it's a, it's a hate crime to, to talk about someone's sexual orientation. You know, it's a hate crime to say that, that these uh, homosexual pedophile priests are doing something wicked. You know, it becomes, you know, it becomes they call it bigotry. You know, bigotry used to be something you hated someone for a, uh, because of another race, not because of their deviant sin. You know, what's the next thing? You know, it's a hate crime to say that somebody that is a full-blown uh, heroin addict, you can't say that that's wrong or it's going to be a hate crime or, or, or somebody that's into bestiality, it's a hate crime because uh, of their, their deviant. Folks, listen, uh, those sins like that are becoming uh, protected by legislation because the church did not take their role seriously as ministers of reconciliation. He says, for he, he made him to know no sin who, who uh, to be sin or to be a sacrifice for sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So righteousness is not something that we do. Righteousness is what we are in Christ Jesus. But folks, I want, I want to say this. You need to think about this. Genuine righteousness should always produce genuine concern. Okay? Genuine righteousness should produce genuine concern. The, the, the epitome or the embodiment of righteousness was in Christ Jesus. And why did He come? Why? To seek and save the lost. He was concerned with hurting people. He was concerned with dying people. He was concerned with people that are bound by, by wickedness. He was concerned by, by, by what was going to happen to them. And, so, and He is righteousness. He is the righteousness of God revealed. And so genuine righteousness in our lives should produce a genuine concern for people. And that genuine concern then in turn should produce a genuine urgency to speak the life-giving message of the Lord Jesus Christ to those people that we're concerned about. But if there's not genuine righteousness, there'll no, there'll no longer be a genuine concern. And if there's no concern, there'll be no urgency to go out and do something about what is destroying uh, people's lives on a daily basis. And so when we activate through obedience His command uh, this righteously imparted urgent concern, then and only then will we see the type of harvest that is only talked about now in this day and age. And so these five verses that, uh, that I'm going to read this morning will basically give the condition of man and serve uh, genuinely to just establish uh, the enormity of man's wickedness. Uh, that uh, There's been given a redemptive blood in Jesus Christ that dwarfs anything and everything that mankind could ever do. And through faith in this work, man could be free from the yoke of bondage and the sentence of everlasting hell that would accompany those that would refuse this great grace. And so I'm going to read these verses. And I want you to look at it because what it's saying is, listen, man is without hope apart from Christ Jesus. But as hopeless as man is, Christ Jesus is going to come and He's going to provide a sacrifice and an empowerment and a transformation that generally will allow you to walk in the fulfillment of 2 Corinthians 5, 17-21. So here's what he said. Verses 15-19 of Romans chapter 5 of our text this morning. He said, But the free gift is not like the offense or the sin. For if by the one man's offense many died, 
Much more the grace of God and the gift of the grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. And the gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for the judgment which came from one offense resulted in condemnation, but the gift which came from many offenses resulted in justification. So you see a difference right there. For by one man's offense death reigned through the one, much more those who receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. Therefore, verse 18, as though one man's offense, judgment came to all men, resulting in condemnation, even so, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's obedience many were made sinners, also by one uh, obedience many were made righteous. Let's, let's compare kind of the language of those five verses just for a second. Verses 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Verse 15 says, by one man's offense many died. 16, judgment came from one man's offense resulting in condemnation. 17 said, by one man's offense, uh, death reigned through one. 18 said, through one man's offense, judgment came to all men. Verse 19 says, by one man's disobedient, many were made sinners. Are you seeing that? He said he's just repeating the exact same thing over and over again. And so all five of these verses are basically saying the exact same thing. And, what, and so I've got to ask you the question, what is the purpose of of Paul repeating this phrase over and over again. Why would he want to repeat that phrase just in using just a little bit different language each and every time? And the answer, folks, is that he does not want anyone to overlook the significance of Adam's transgression and its effect upon his complete posterity or those that would follow after him. You talk about driving a point home. Listen, guys, by one man's offense, all were made sinners. By one man's uh, uh, sin, judgment came and condemnation came. By one man's, people were, were, were brought to death and death reigned and ruled over their lives. And so you, you'll see that he repeats those things and he's establishing uh, something that literally needs to be ingrained in our thinking. Let me give you an example that he, where he's done it elsewhere as well. And that's Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Uh, Galatians 1, 6-9. You've heard me quote this scripture on many occasions. He said, I marvel, he's speaking at a church from Galatia. And he said, I marvel that you are so removed from, from him that calls you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. He said, I'm surprised that you're, you've forgotten what uh, the gospel message is. He said, I'm surprised that you've turned away from what the word of God says and you've turned to another gospel. Which is not another gospel at all, he says. But there are some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Jesus Christ. Then he goes on to say, he said, But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you, except that which we have preached to you, he said, Let them be accursed. And he said this in verse 9, As we said before, now I say again, If any man preach any other gospel other than what you've received, let him be accursed. And so in, in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, he said, uh, This is the third time I'm coming to you. And he said, In the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established. And so what we're looking at is the opportunity to, to see what he's repeating, those type of things. I want to stop just for a second. Uh, uh, Topher, all religions are lame. The Bible is this. Well, brother, I'm just going to pray for your soul. You know, you, you say those type of things, and it's probably because of your life that you have to live. You, evidently, you live a very miserable life. You know, I saw what Jesus has done in my life for over 22 years. It's got a victory. And, and I mean, really, just by you coming on and using that, that type of things, you come, it, it just shows just really how lame you are. You know, you talk about religion is lame. I couldn't think of anything lamer than to come on to somebody's Bible uh, class.
class and have to say something ridiculous. Uh, it, it just shows that the, the, the shallowness of, of who you are. But the good news is the same Jesus that changed and transformed us is the same Jesus that can transform you as well. Yeah, everyone is allowed. Uh, but we're, we're studying the Bible. We're not talking the Bible sucks, as you would put it, or all religions are, are lame. I mean, if you've got something legitimate to say uh, after the study, we'd love to talk to you. But it's just uh, ridiculous and very asinine and immature. And it really reveals that you, uh, that you just need, maybe you need to stop, stop and listen for just a second. You've been on for the whole sum of 30 seconds and you're all, already saying that. What my encouragement would be, I want to invite you to listen just for a few minutes. Chances are you haven't had the chance to listen, but you are very welcome to be here and I'd like you to hear what we're saying and maybe, maybe your opinion at the end will change and I, I'd really be interested to hear what you had to say at the end of that. But I'd really appreciate you to uh, uh, withhold any opinion on what you're saying because you don't know anything about us or what we're teaching until you stop to listen for a minute. So you're invited to stay. I'm glad you're here. Uh, but hold off and see what you're saying today because we're talking about some things that literally I believe could change your life. So back to Galatians 1.9. So he's saying, he's given that example of, of, of many people are coming. And actually, let's go back to what he said in 2 Corinthians 13.1. That by the mouth of two or three witnesses shall every word be established or confirmed. And so uh, what he's saying, showing, we're seeing in verses 15 through 19 of Romans chapter 5, is he's repeating something over and over again to get that ingrained in what we're thinking and to show us that he's got something that he wants us to know. He's got something he wants us to hear. He, he's got something that, that he, he wants to be confirmed that listen, that, that every single one of us, regardless of our background, where we come from, that we are basically evil. That there's, If you give us enough time, that, that we're going to prove those things out. But then he goes on to say, and I actually want to say this, he said, he said to, by two or three times shall everything be established. But he's given us five times. So it is obvious that he's making that point. Now I want you to see how these verses, in the next, the, those same five verses echo the hope that he establishes. First he established five times. He said, listen, this is how bad it is. Sin entered in, and man is in a destitute thing. We can see it throughout the world. We can see the, the heinous crimes that are committed against people, and against children, and against women, and all the, the vile acts that are happening in, in countries all across. But then he gives us the hope in, the, in the, the same five verses. He said, much more than, in verse 15, the grace of God and the gift by grace of one man, Jesus Christ, abounded to many. Verse 16, he says, the free gift which came for many offenses resulted in justification. Verse 17, much more, those who receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness will reign of, in life through the one, Jesus Christ. Verse 18, through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification in life. And in verse 19, by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. And so, what we have here is there's two universal truths that have been established here in these five verses. And, and what those five verses are, they're, they're just really confirm what we've studied in the first uh, four, almost five now chapters of the book of Romans. Number one, it's that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That every single person is, uh, is, has been born destitute and we are in need of a Savior. Left on our own, that we're going we're gonna to produce wickedness. Now, some peoples may produce it to a worse manifested degree and some peoples to a lesser. But the, the, but the bottom line is, every single one of us are in desperate need of a Redeemer. And the second thing that establishes, it says the only way to salvation is by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We can try as we might. 
to, to look for other ways or to other means or other opportunities for that. But the truth of the matter is, is the only way that we can be redeemed and changed and transformed is by a genuine relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not religion, not joining a, a sect or not rejoining something, but genuinely having an intimate relationship and knowing Him. There's so many things out there. And as my brother has probably said in his experiences has been, what he's found is that his experiences with religion have been bad. Well, the problem is he, he don't need to have an experience with religion. He needs to have an experience with Jesus. And I believe once we have an experience with Jesus, then we're going to find out that we can walk in that prescribed order of victory. And that, thing, that, that relationship with Jesus is only uh, experienced through an intimate relationship and faith towards God uh, by the redemptive work of the cross of Calvary. And so all are born blighted, literally, by the curse of sin, Yet all can be redeemed by the generation that comes from the blood of Jesus. And so he's establishing that. He's saying all are blighted, all have, have been affected, all have been touched by those type of things. But the only thing that can change and transform us is the blood of Jesus. And so verse t uh, 19, I believe, and I want to really focus on this this morning. Verse 19 of this five-part statement is really true and interesting to look at. And, and let's look at verse 19 quickly. And he says, For as by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, so also by one man's obedience many were made righteous. Now all those things say the same, but really what's interesting to me is, is how it's almost a progression of things. And so look at, verse, look at verse 15. He said, But the free gift is not like the offense. For if by one man's offense many died, but by the grace of God and by the gift of grace by one man, Christ Jesus abounded to many. Really, what you're looking at in verse 15, you need to learn to look at, look at the Scripture like this. Look how general that kind of is. But, but look how it moves forward. He says, and, and the gift of God is not like through the one man who sinned. And, and so now he adds the word judgment to the next verse, resulted in condemnation. He added judgment and condemnation. But then he also adds free gift and justification. Now, the next verse, look what he added. He added the word death. And so he increased it just a little bit more. But he also added abundance of grace and, and, and to reign in life through Christ Jesus. Then we look at verse 18. The man's offense came to all men, resulting in condemnation. And, and through one man's righteous act, the free gift of all men, resulting in justification. He repeated basically verse 16. Now, look at verse 19. I think it's so interesting. Then he goes back and he says, By one man's disobedience many were made sinners. Also by one man's obedience many were made righteous. Now if I said to you that that is really the most telling verse of all the five, you might scratch your head and say, How can that be worse than the death and the life verse? I'm fixing to tell you. There's two words that, there that are very interesting. If you've got your Bible out or you've got your notes, you need to write these words down. The word disobedience and the word obedience. Disobedience and obedience are the words that literally separated and it set that verse or that part of that that two or three witnesses shall every word be confirmed. It really establishes what we're getting at and what we see and what we experience even in this class when, when folks will come into our class and say things. Here, here's the problem that is facing and here's the problem that, that, that Jesus addressed and Paul addressed and here's the, the problem that we have to see addressed today. Oh, disobedience made man a sinner. Okay? Write that down. Disobedience made man a sinner. Obedience makes man righteous. Disobedience makes man a sinner. Obedience makes men righteous. Now if I said to you today, listen, 
How are you being, what is the things in your life that are being disobedient, that are causing you to walk the life or live the life of a sinner? You know, you'd probably give me some things, some things. well, listen, I'm not reading my word. And you'd, you'd give me just this collection of, 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 the, of the do's and don'ts. You'd say, well, you know, I got mad at someone or I did this and that. And so we always, we always equate disobedience with something that we've, we've done. Or, you know, I'm not witnessing enough. Or I'm doing this. Isn't that kind of how we think of disobedience? But what if I said, you know, obedience makes men righteous. And I said, what obedient things in your life are causing you to be righteous? What do you think you're going to say? Well, I'm, I'm being obedient to pray. I'm being obedient to go to church. I'm being obedient to worship. I'm being obedient to witness. Now, when we think of it like that, basically it becomes kind of a, a works-motivated righteousness or a works-motivated unrighteousness. But I want you to look at something that's so interesting. That word that's used here for the word disobedience or disobey in the Greek is a word that literally means, and you're going to have to, you're going to, have to pay attention to this, neglecting to hear. That word it means neglecting to hear. And so when I'm being disobedient to God, I'm neglecting to hear God. But what's interesting, there's a completely another word that's used for obey or obedience, and it's the Greek word that means to listen. It means that I listen. Disobey means I've neglected to hear, and to obey means that I have listened. And so let me read it like this. For as one man's Refusal or neglecting to hear, we were made sinners. So also by one man's hearing, many will be made righteous. Why is that so important? Listen, God gave instructions to Adam and Eve in the garden. He told them all these things. But what's interesting, He told them, He said, Listen, you've got dominion, you can partake of anything here in the garden, but there's one thing that you cannot partake of. He said, Do not partake of or touch the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Do not partake of that. And it was almost like as soon as he told them that, they heard everything else except that one thing. They, they, they neglected to hear what he said. And so when, when, when the serpent came and he began to tell something, they, they heard him. And they said, it's not as though what, you, what God has said. So neglect to hear him and I want you to hear my voice. But through one man's obedience or one man's hearing, many will be made righteous. Now think about what Jesus said on several occasions to those that questioned him. He said, the only things that I say are what? The words that I hear my Father speak. You know where Jesus' righteousness was produced? By being obedient in hearing what the Father spoke and speaking those same things. Folks, it's no different than you and I. Listen, God wants us to say what He said. He wants the words of our mouth and the, the utterance of our lips to, to, to be in conformity and uniformity to what He spoke. Words of life, words of righteousness, words of, uh, words of, words, words of uh, deliverance and words of holiness, word, those type of words. We need, to, we need to listen to what He said so we can hear what He said. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. And so I want you to look at some other parts, how, how this, uh, this hearing is used in other parts of the Word of God. And, and, and let's, let's, let's apply it back to what we're talking about and what I touched on out of that out of Second Corinthians five seventeen, talking about what he's uh, what he said that we're, we were uh, we were blighted in sin, but we were changed and transformed. But we were changed and transformed for a purpose, and that purpose is to be made ministers of reconciliation. And so, when I can hear in re uh, regards to that, 
And I can think, okay, God, I want to hear your word in regards to the call and the commission that you've called me to. Now, I want to read these, I want to read these things about hearing. And look how he used those things. Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 through 17. Matthew chapter 11, verses 12 through 17. He says this, From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence, and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. If you are willing to receive it, it says he is Elijah who has come. Verse 15, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. But, what to, but to what shall I liken this generation? It's like children sitting in the marketplaces and calling to their companions and saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament. Now look at the context of he's saying I want you to hear. Number one, he, he's pointing out that John came. John, you know the first message John preached, we'll find it in Matthew chapter 3 verses 1 and 2. It said, John came preaching out of the wilderness of Judea saying, Repent ye therefore, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was, he was calling them to repent. He, he, he came with a message that said, Listen, he said, there's, uh, he said I baptize you indeed in, uh, in water under repentance, but there's one coming after me whose shoe latches that I'm not worthy to unloose, that he's going to baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He was calling them to receive the benefits of salvation through Christ Jesus. He came as a prophetic evangelist to people. He came in the ministry of reconciliation. He came rebuking the, the Pharisees for their, uh, for their wickedness. He came rebuking them for their religious traditions. And what you see in verses 16 and 17 in Mark, Matthew 11 is basically the comparison he is making to the Pharisees. Listen, he said, This generation is like children sitting in the marketplace and calling the companions saying, We played the flute for you and you did not dance. We mourned for you and you did not lament. In other words, we're going through all the religious things, but there's no fruit. There's no manifestation of those type of things. It's just like children sitting in a marketplace making a lot of noise, but there's really no sincerity behind it. They're just becoming mockers and imitators of something, but there's no genuine power. They're counterfeit that we talked about in a, in a couple classes. And so he, he's saying, let them hear what? Let them hear what the result of, uh, of people uh, not responding to the ministry of reconciliation. The same ministry that John had is the same ministry that we have. Now let's jump forward a couple chapters in the Gospel of Matthew. Chapter 13, verses 3 through 9. And he said, He spake unto them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and fowls came and devoured them. Some fell upon stony places. They had not much earth. and with, uh, Therefore, when they sprung up, because they had no deepness of earth, and when the sun was up, they were scorched, and because they had no root, they withered away. Some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But others fell into good ground and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, and some thirtyfold. Now here's that phrase again, verse 9. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. If you're willing to listen, listen. I'm going to tell you something that's going to produce righteousness in your life. That parable is about... The harvest. That parable is about soul winning. That parable is not about you uh, sowing uh, $1,000 into the, the, the ministry of some uh, preacher or some uh, televangelist. That's not what that is. He, he goes on to explain that the, the seed is the Word of God and those are lives or hearts. And so when he's giving the parable of the sower, he's, he's talking about the ministry of reconciliation. And so if you have ears to hear, if you're willing to listen to be obedient to that ministry... Hear and respond to that. Here's another one. Jump down a few verses. Matthew 13, 31 through 43. Another parable put he forth unto them, saying, 
The kingdom of heaven is likened to a grain of mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all seeds. But when it is grown, it is among the greatest herbs, becoming a tree, so that the birds of the air come and lodge in the branches thereof. Another parable he spoke to them. The kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal, till the whole was leavened. And all these things spake Jesus of the multitude of parables. Without a parable he did not speak to them, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things which have been kept in secret from the foundation of the world. Then Jesus sent the multitude away and went into the house. And his disciples said, Declare unto us what the parable of the tares of the field. And he answered them and said, He that soweth the good seed is the son of man. The seed, the field is the world. The seed are the children of the kingdom. But the tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy so, uh, uh, that sowed them is the devil, and the harvest is the end world, and the reapers are the angels. As therefore the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so shall it be in the end of this world. The Son of Man shall send forth his angels, and they shall gather out of the kingdom all things that offend them which do iniquity. And shall cast them in the furnace of fire, there shall be wailing and gnashing teeth. Uh, then shall the righteous shine forth as the sun uh, in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Folks, once again, he's talking about that reconciliatory act of the cross of Calvary and the ministry of reconciliation that we have in Christ Jesus. And so it's, it's always that. Now listen to this. Mark chapter 4, verse 21 through 23. Mark chapter 4, 21 through 23. And he said unto them, uh, Is a candle brought to be put under a bushel, under a bed, and not to be set on a candlestick? What are we? We're the light of the world. The city that's set on the hill cannot be hidden. We're the light. We're the testimony. That light is the word of God. That light has become the light of men. For there is nothing, verse 22, uh, hid uh, which it shall not be made manifest, nor was anything kept secret but what it should come abroad. Verse 23, If any man has ears to hear, if any man will be obedient, let him hear. Uh, then in Mark 7, Mark chapter 7, verses 1 through 16, then came together unto him the Pharisees and certain of the scribes which came from Jerusalem. And he saw some of his disciples eat bread which, de, uh, which defiled, that is, to say with unwashed hands, and they found fault. For the Pharisees and all the Jews, except, uh, uh, except they washed their hands, often eat not with uh, holding to the traditions of the elders. When they come from the market, except they wash, they do not eat. And many uh, other things uh, there be uh, which they received uh, to hold as the washing of cups, pots, uh, brass, and bed. In other words, they were caught up in a lot of traditions. Then the Pharisees and scribes asked, Why do your uh, uh, disciples uh, not uh, walk according to the tradition of the elders, but they eat bread with unwashed hands? And he answered and said unto them, uh, Well, has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites? It is written, This people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. How be it in vain do they worship me, teaching for doctrine the commands of men? For laying aside the commandments of God, you hold the traditions of men, as washing pots and cups and other things like that, which we do. And he said unto them, Full well we reject the commandment of God that you may keep your own tradition. What is the commandment of God that we talked about yesterday out of Mark 16, 15? The commandment, the emphatic commandment of God to go into all the world and preach the gospel. He said, you'll reject that commandment in order to keep your own traditions. He said, for Moses said, honor your father and mother, whosoever curses a mother and father, let him die. But you say, if a man shall say to his father and mother, it is korban, that is to say a gift or whatever, uh, thou might be proud of me, he shall be free. And you shall suffer him no more to do unto his father or to his mother. Make the word of God in that effect through your traditions which you have delivered and many such things like you do. And when you had called all the people unto him, he said unto them, Hearken unto me, every one of you, and understand. There is nothing that comes out of a man that defiles him. But it's, uh, excuse me, it goes into a man that enters... Uh, but, excuse me, there is nothing from without a man or something that's outside that he eats that, that enters into him that can defile him. But it's that which comes out of the man 
that defiles the man. In other words, it's not what goes into the mouth that defiles the man, but what comes out. If any man, verse 16, has ears to hear, let him hear. What he's saying, you get all this stuff, you get all these traditions that are coming in, he said that stuff is baloney. That stuff has no effect on you. But it's what comes out of the mouth of a man that's going to not only tell it on a man, but it's either going to speak righteousness or it's going to speak defilement. And what's he talking about? He's talking about that responsibility that we have, the commands of God, to, to bring people into the kingdom of God through the preaching of the gospel of that kingdom. And finally, chapter uh, excuse me, Luke 14, 34 and 35. Luke 14, 34 and 35. He said, Salt is good, but if we if the salt is lost its savor, where shall it be seasoned? It is neither fit uh, uh, for the land nor for the dunghill, but man just cast it out. Then he says, Whosoever has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, who will be obedient to the responsibility that God has given us through His Word? Folks, really, that's what it comes down to. God has given us these five passages, uh, 15 through 19. He's saying, listen, here's the problem. Then He's given us five more and said, here's the solution. But there's a responsibility that comes in that, that solution and is us to walk in the fulfillment of that, but we've got to walk in obedience. The problem that we have that brings condemnation, that causes death to reign in our life, that, that causes wickedness, that causes transgressions to abound, is that we refuse to listen. We turn off our hearing. And you know, I've said many times that God has given us two ears and one mouth, and so He probably expects us to listen twice as much as we talk. And if we'll just listen and incline our ear to the voice of God, God will speak to you. He said that His sheep know His voice and another they will not follow. But we have got to shut up long enough and begin to listen to the voice of God that we can hear Him, that we can obey Him. You can look, and I encourage you, you know, after, uh, after we, we close out today, turn to the, to the book of Revelation and look at Jesus uh, uh, giving that revelation of Himself to John the, the Revelator in the book of Revelation and read specifically chapters 2 and chapter 3. And what you're going to see is Him speaking to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And over and over again He says something. He says to those that have an ear to hear, let them hear, the eyes to see and see. He begins to address the problem. He says, in other words, He said, listen, if you want to obey what I say, pay attention. If you want to do what I said do, pay attention and be obedient. Folks, listen, something has never changed. To obey is always better than to sacrifice. Because when I'm obedient, that means that I've been listening. And so it's the same thing with our children. You know, we tell our children to do something, and if they're not really listening to us, the chances of their obe obeying us are zero. And so when we tell them to do something that doesn't get done, and we come back later, we say, why didn't you do that? Uh, they'll say, I forgot. No, they didn't forget. Uh, they or forget. The problem was they weren't listening to us to begin with. And my question is, are we hearkened unto the voice of God? Are we listening to the things that God has given us? I, I want to read the, uh, the next verse in this. In verse 20, he said, Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound, but where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And so when he was talking about the law here, he's specifically talking about the law of Moses, which was about 2,400 years after the fall. And so he said the law came and the law entered that, that, that sin might abound. You know, there's some uh, brothers in the Lord that, that teach a, uh, teach, uh, witnessing techniques and they'll, they'll utilize the law. And one of the reasons they utilize the law is they say to, to bring an awareness of sin. And uh, that, that's good. I believe it definitely has a place. But uh, the, the problem with some of that is is with the Gentiles, the law was not given to the Gentiles. 
And so the law, the law uh, is not something that the, the Gentiles really hold that true uh, to them. And so it would be like me coming to someone and saying, listen, uh, according to the, you know, the responsibility of the Moose Lodge, according to something of this organization, they say to themselves, well, listen, I'm not a part of that organization. I, I've never been a part of it. How much conviction is going to bring? It's going to bring very little conviction upon them. And so what God utilized for the Jews was the law. Because the law was ingrained into their culture. It was ingrained into their lives from the time they were very young. But what you see is something, a, 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 a better way that happened with the Gentiles. You don't see a whole lot of utilization of the law when it came to, to, to winning the Gentiles. It became a deeper conviction in a man's heart. It became not with dealing strictly with those things that were outward, but it came in piercing the heart of man through the preaching of the cross of Calvary, preaching that, that word to that. But the reason that the law was given, specifically when he's talking about to the, to the Jews, was that there could be this standard. And what the Jews, in turn, were supposed to do as really the special forces, they were supposed to take the heart of the law and go and speak the principles of righteousness to the Gentile nations. But the, what the, the Jews did is they got so concerned about the traditions of the letter of the law, they became all about the law. And they forgot the law was just made so sin would be abounding and so they could see the transgressions of men. And so, folks, that's really what it was. The, the law wasn't given so we can go to somebody and say, listen, have you ever lied? Well, yes, or you're a liar, you're going to hell. Have you ever stolen? Yeah, well, you're a thief, you're going to hell. Listen, because they don't recognize the fact that, that, that lying is bad. They just think it's a, a part of business practices. They think it's a part of, of covering yourself if you're in sexual immorality. Because the, the world, the Gentile world, the heathen nations, the, there's no standard. And so the Jews were given the law to bring forth a standard. They were to create a standard through their exemplary life. But because they lost sight of that, what happened, the law literally became of none effect. But so what happened is, but grace came with the divine influence of God upon the heart and its reflection in the life. Uh, and it much more abounded because it had a greater protocol, it had a greater responsibility, and it raised a greater standard for those that would hear those things. And finally, the last verse in, in chapter 5, it says, it says uh, that sin has reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through life and righteousness unto eternal life by our Lord Jesus Christ. Basically what it's going to say is, is, is when it says reigned, it's talking about as a kingdom or a king. And so uh, what Paul is establishing is, listen, before Christ Jesus came, before the, the blood of Jesus is poured out and we had the opportunity to be reconciled unto Him, He said death uh, or, or, or uh, sin and unrighteousness and death was king. It had rulership over everyone. But once grace came and righteousness came, it became that kingdom that we could come to. And so that's when the Word of God tells us the kingdom of God cometh not with observation that it was, is within us. That there is a kingdom that, that comes within our hearts, within our thoughts, within our minds, within our, uh, our conversation, within our relationships, that is not based upon something external, but it's based upon the, the, the love of God shown through for His, His mercy and grace into our lives that change and transforms us, that causes us to be a new creature in Christ Jesus, that causes us to adopt the ministry of reconciliation. And so really chapter 5 is, is just a chapter that is basically wanting to establish, listen folks, don't think for a minute that there's anybody out there that you're ever going to talk to that's getting a free pass. As nice as they are, as sweet as they are, as good as they are at waiting on you if they're a waitress or somebody at a counter. Listen, uh, as good as intention, all have sinned, comes toward the glory of God. We saw that in Romans 3.23. We saw it just completely uh, revealed in the fifth chapter here. But the good news is 
That there is a king who sits upon a throne in glory and his name is Jesus. And he has made a provision for us to be changed and transformed if, listen to me, if we will hear and obey what he speaks to us in our hearts and lives. Whereas the Jews at one time were given the law to, to be that ambassador, to, to be that voice, to be those literal special forces to the world. Folks, now listen, we have been given and, and been, had committed to us that word and ministry of reconciliation. Let's not fail in, in, in our assignment as they did, but let's be a voice of righteousness to a generation that is fast becoming bound by, by debauchery and wickedness and, and is, is fast approaching the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. Folks, listen, we're out of time today. Got a last thing to say to you? Get into God's Word. God's Word will get into you.